Yeah, I think that conversion rate that that you hear about in the industry is a scary number when you're coming out of my profession. Something like 20% of all first-time skiers will return to the sport. Like that's not sustainable in an industry that's been flat for 40 some odd years. So I what I say to my staff that's really important is let's make a fun lesson that they want to return to, but let's give them something that they learn. We want to make them feel like they are skiers. So if we can get them on a chairlift where they're safely descending the hill, having a good time, then we're going to get them back. If they spend all day in the flats not being skiers, that's going to be a hard choice. Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Let's go. Alex Kaufman, Wintry Mix, episode 61. Nate Gardner is not a gardener. Well, he might be a gardener, I guess, but that's not what we talk about. He's a seasoned veteran in the world of professional ski instruction. What that means is he instructs the instructors at Stowe Mountain Resort as the training manager. And in this episode, he helps us all, your host included, learn what goes on behind the curtain of the PSIA broadly and locally. There's a lot of cool podcast news to share quickly before we jump in with Nate. The voicemail has been active, so stay tuned at the end for the latest listener thoughts. And if you'd like to chime in, call 802-560-5003. And I came up with a new way for listeners to support Wintry Mix that actually just turns us all into Santa Claus, because I'm not keeping any of the money. Visit patreon.com slash wintrymixcast and choose a level of support starting at $1 per month, that's 12 bucks a year, and all of the money raised will be donated locally every time we hit $200. We'll change up the causes based on listener suggestions. Folks who donate $2 per month or more will get our new Wintry Mix sticker more news i owe 114 of you a beer thanks to everyone dropping those five star ratings on apple podcasts man the local format is getting fun stand by for the goods the wintry mix podcast is now supported by the town and country hotel in stowe the bidders you know the ones that run the lacrosse tournaments, they bought the place last summer and are bringing a local's touch with family-friendly dining and opera in their remodeled bar and restaurant, modern affordable lodging, and events worth your time, like comedy nights, dart leagues, and yeah, they have indoor cornhole in their bar side family room. Did I mention the prices? You're gonna like them. In addition to renovating all the rooms, a new beer hall space will be opening up on the property in the coming months. Follow them on Instagram or Facebook at Town and Country Stowe. Restaurant parking is out back. I'll see you at the Town and Country. Nate 
gardener. I made you take your boots off when you got here. What were those things? Uh, that's my mountaineering boot. Gives me some good traction when I'm walking around the resort. What, who makes them? Uh, La Sportiva. Wow. So those are your daily kicks. Yeah. Wear those to the house, out to the car, wear it for the car, back to the office, and then usually trade it in for ski boots. So the office, when people ask you what you do, how do you explain it? Uh, that's a tough one. Usually I say, you know, those ski instructors that you see around the mountain, I teach them how to teach. So you teach the teachers, you instruct the instructors. Yeah. And you've been doing that for how long? Coming into my 14th season now as a instructor and about half of that time being a trainer. And the home base has always been still? Yep. I've spent a season out in Colorado, a season in California, but I grew up in Stowe and that's been my home base. But you're not the first gardener to be teaching people how to ski at Stowe, correct? Correct. My father was a ski instructor for 16 years after he retired from a career in academics. We moved to Stowe. He started teaching skiing and then I followed in his footsteps. So 16 years plus how many? Oh, so 16 years for him, 14 for me, about four of those of overlap. So yeah, we're, we're well over, close to 30 years now. So the gardener's 30 years of teaching skiing at Stowe Mountain Resort. Yeah, exactly. Well, congratulations. This is your 30th, kind of the 30th anniversary podcast that we'll be uh, undertaking here uh, with Nate Gardner, the instructor of the instructors at Stowe Mountain Resort. I'm sure that comes with lots of other kind of nomenclature and, and digits because of ski instructing certifications and things. What are all your, your titles in that world? Uh, so certification-wise, I'm a PSIA, Professional Ski Instructors of America, Level 3. I'm an examiner for PSIA in the Eastern Division, so I go out and I'm now the ones that credential the instructors. Uh, Eastern Tech Team, which is really just coaches of the examiner group. How many instructors are, are either participating or are working to get certified that, that you maybe come in contact with? Um, so we're probably about 70 examiners in the East, so I'm kind of coaching that group. That group has each of their staff, so I think we're about 10,000 instructors in the East, Eastern Division, which is from Maine all the way down to Georgia. I'm learning a lot of stuff right now because this <laughs> is an area of skiing that I just fully admit that I've somehow not really penetrated very deeply um, from a knowledge perspective for myself or even on the podcast. Um, I know that there's a lot of it out there and that it's a very developed profession. Well, so the 10,000 is just the membership of PSIA. And you could probably say that that's half of all ski instructors in the East. So maybe there's around 20,000 instructors Eastern. And then as you go nationally, you know, you're probably kicking close to 60, 75,000 instructors just across our country. And then each major Alpine area has its own professional ski instructor certification body. So you probably have a good elevator pitch for this. I'm a ski instructor. I'm new to it. I'm thinking about getting certified, but I'm not sure I should do it. Why? Uh, get certified because you're going to be a better coach. It's going to increase your pay a little bit. And it's just a really fun group of people who love to, yeah, we get a little bit technical on stuff, but we love to ski and just get out and share that information. So folks who haven't taken lessons, like myself, I mean, I had maybe a little bit when I was a kid, when my parents were tired of kind of dealing with me, but for the most part, it was, you know, my father skied over my back and eventually figured it out. What are we all doing wrong? Like the most often folks who've never had a lesson, but they, they fancy themselves decent skiers, like the, the technical things that are most often wrong. Uh, let's see. Most often wrong would be, we talk a lot about needing to turn the legs more than you turn your upper body. 
kind of stuff. And and when I watch people out free skiing and, and granted Stowe, where I'm from, great skier population. The people there are awesome, but most frequent would be that one. And that's a really technical explanation to just why things kind of get bound up at, to start a turn or why you're not having great short radius turns and quick turns in the bumps and quick turns in the trees. Cool. So we'll get a lot more into the technical stuff. I want to find out more about how the actual business of ski instruction operates. Um, but before we go there, do you live in Stowe? Do you live in Morrisville, Waterbury? Where are you at? Yeah. So I grew up in Stowe about eight miles from the parking lot. I now live in Morrisville with my family, my wife and my five-year-old son and our dog. And I'm 16 miles from driveway to parking lot. And you have to arrive when, when you're a ski instructor, what's your arrival time? Uh, I usually shoot Monday through Friday to be at the hill around 8 a.m. Weekends, I'm probably getting there 6.30 to 7 a.m. You stayed around pretty locally for college, correct? Yeah, I went to Johnson State College just north. Nice. You played soccer. I did. I did see that. Yeah. Do you still play pickup around here? A little bit, and I've done some coaching with the Stowe High School team. Actually, the the high school coach at Stowe was my college coach uh, going through, Brian Buchek. So I pitch in, help out with him. Uh, A teammate of mine is the coach at Johnson now for the women's. My wife's coach at Johnson is the coach at Morrisville. So Johnson's got a huge influence in, in the region for soccer. I believe it. What about the five-year-old? I've been coaching the the ones and twos lately. You might be next. You might get recruited. Yeah, he started playing soccer this year uh, in a little, you know, kindergarten, preschool group. And yeah, he's loving it. So the day-to-day, you came here straight from work, correct? I did. What'd you do today? Uh, This morning, I got out on the hill for a few runs, uh, check conditions, check in on some staff, slid into a couple of groups just to make sure everybody was feeling all right because it was still pretty early in the morning and then I've been going pretty straight through with training staff for the last two weeks so there's a little bit of computer time I needed to catch up on today. So at Stowe how many of your instructors are returning how many are you training from scratch each year? We usually gain back about 80 to 85 percent every year which is a great number for us so you know then we're hiring somewhere it's been around 50 to 60 each year that we hire. And you probably have returning customers as well. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of returning customers. So a couple of years ago, I was in the base lodge of Snow Basin, okay. which they like built for the Olympics. Uh-huh. And if you've ever been in this base lodge, go in the bathrooms downstairs. Yeah. They're amazing. Nice. Um, and there was also a big poster describing, you know, take a private lesson. Yeah. I think it was $800. Yeah. That's probably, you know, not a shocking number. Uh, what if I'm just coming up from the city, I want my own private instructor. I want the best you got. And I want them for a day or a week. What is that running me? Yeah, we're close to that. Probably eight, 900. I don't know the figure right off the top of my head. And then the total opposite of the spectrum, you got classes full of eight, 10, five, six, seven, eight year olds. Yeah. Um, putting your kid in one of those costs about how much? Just around 200 bucks for the day, including lift access and all that stuff. Does it include lunch? It does. Includes all the lunch, all all the snacks throughout the day. Plus, we do programs that are full days, so your kid is taken care of for six and a half hours, and you can go out and just enjoy your day as a parent. I just realized that this is one of my main interactions with ski instructors in ski school, yeah. is that those classes used to feed me. <laughs> so when I was in Vail, if you maybe may or not know, I spent some 
good few years as kind of a young dirtbag skier in Vail. And I used to, at Midvale, you'd have the classes of, of ski school kids, and they would get the big lunches with a Snickers and a French fries and pizza and everything they wanted. And then they would eat a bite of each thing, and then they would throw them away or, or something like that. And I used to be able to kind of help them bust the tables yeah. and just shove my face. Are you guys managed? Like, what do they? What, are the, what does a five-year-old get for lunch? Are they allowed to get anything they want, or is it kind of managed? So we feed the majority of our kids, especially up to that sort of five, six, eight-year-old group, out of our adventure center at Stowe. So in there, it's a full professional kitchen, and they have, you know, they, we have the standard things that kids will generally gravitate towards: of pizza, hot dogs, mac and cheese, but. We run a full salad bar because our staff loves to be healthy and we love to provide healthy options. And sometimes, I think the other day I was in there and they had stuffed shells with tomato sauce. And it's probably sized properly for their their age. Right, yeah. They're not getting these adult servings. That's what I was capitalizing on. Oh, yeah. Was kids getting adult servings. I used to love when I got the, the advanced level age groups when I first started, we'd be able to eat at like Midway or Mansfield and I'd make sure they got everything on their voucher list and I just pick off of it. So I totally know what you're yeah, you're, you're saying. But things now are definitely a little more kid size. Just increasing efficiency. That's all we're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so from a local perspective to kind of jumping to global, mm-hmm. there's always talk in our industry, in this industry, about how we get more people skiing. Kind of the from scratch, not the intermediate turning into an advanced or the beginner turning into intermediate, the person who's never tried it or maybe tried it once and never did it again. Um, I would assume you have thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that is that conversion rate that that you hear about in the industry is a scary number when you're coming out of my profession, something like 20% of all first-time skiers will return to the sport. Like that's not sustainable in an industry that's been flat for 40 some odd years. So I what I say to my staff that's really important is let's make a fun lesson that they want to return to, but let's give them something that they learn. We want to make them feel like they are skiers. So if we can get them on a chairlift where they're safely descending the hill, having a good time, then we're going to get them back. If they spend all day in the flats not being skiers, that's going to be a hard choice. So it's getting them on the adventure triple one way or another. Yeah, I wouldn't say one way or another. I want them safe and competent, but the quicker you can get people into skis, you know, that there's that image of like playing boot games in the flats and it's an important skill, but get a ski on them. Then get two skis on them. Get them moving. Get them. It's a movement-based sport. They can't learn if they're not moving. So do you spend time with guests or just with staff? Uh, Mostly with staff. I do get to spend some time with our guests and and get out and do a few lessons each year. But my main job now is hanging out with staff and, and helping them out. So the certifications. I admit, I look at it and I just see AJ4 2000 Star Trek B level, but only from the Rhode Island region. And it confuses me to death. Make it confuse me a little less. How does it all work? In the U.S., there's there's a PSIA, Professional Ski Instructors of America, and then we have American Association of Snowboard Instructors. So that, you know, covers your disciplines of ski, snowboard, tele, cross country. Um, We have a national standard for each of those disciplines and instructors then take exams to certify against that national standard on a, a one level one is your first certification level two and level three is the top certification. So 
Some of the lingo you might hear people say is bronze pin, silver pin, or gold pin. You know, a lot of folks are really seeking that gold pin because that's the level three. So that's the, the top end certification. Do you make more money as you go up? What does it do for you? Most resorts will have a, a built-in pay increase for certification level. Uh, at Stowe in particular, we also judge kind of rotation and what assignments you're getting. So as a first-year uncertified coach, you're going to spend a lot of time in our kids' programs versus some of our veteran level three coaches are doing majority private lessons, clientele that comes back to see them year after year after year. And do you have folks that are just, hey, I wanna, I'm buying a friend? I mean, that, that's part of the industry, right? I mean, like some percentage of your, of your clients are just, I want somebody to ski with because for whatever reason, they just are either skiing alone or don't, don't know the mountain. They're not really looking for that instruction piece. They're more kind of looking for that person to ski with piece. Yeah, I think we do have that piece. We have what we call mountain guides, okay. same as our private lesson product, but marketing-wise, twisted a little bit differently. Yeah. And yeah, we do have clientele that come in and say, yeah, I just want somebody to cut the line with. I just want somebody to show me the mountain, ski around with me. But I think when you connect that person with a really good instructor- They'll who, make them a better skier one way or another. Right. And if they have an inspiring image, some people are going to say, wow, you really skied that line in a way I can't. How'd you do that? And do y'all pay dues? Is it like a union? Yep. We pay, uh, we have annual dues that we pay to be a member of PSIA. Um, but what's great about PSIA is they reach out into the industry to provide us with discounts. So I pretty much rebate my dues in Patagonia discount every year. So it's like 200 bucks or like 2000 bucks. Uh, what are we talking? One, 140 this year, somewhere in there. Got it. They're collecting dues. They're providing services and certifications that help people in the ski instruction industry achieve professional development and potentially, you know, higher pay and, and, and better work, potentially better work conditions. Do they lobby on behalf of anything? No, it's, it, it's a not-for-profit organization and their main focus is on education in snow sports. So they're not out lobbying to resort operators to get us better pay or get us better working conditions. That's not their mission. That said, you know, the better we are as instructors, which comes through certification and and continuing to develop yourself, the the better argument we have for why we need to make more money because frankly, ski school is one of the top revenue resources at every resort out there. Yeah, probably right behind lift tickets. Yeah, it is usually right behind lift tickets. Yeah. What's the current, I don't want to call it conflict, but debate, discussion within PSIA about what direction to go on a certain topic. There's almost always one or two kind of animating things that are going on that people maybe don't agree upon. We're really focused these days on on swinging the pendulum back towards quality teaching. We went, uh, at one point we went really towards the fun side. We thought we lost some technical ability, so we swung back to the really technical side. Then we found that people were talking too much and being too technical, and we're trying to swing back towards the how do you bring that technical information into a lesson in a way that people who have no idea what the lingo is can digest it? Yeah. So it's that, that kind of tug of war between highly technical um, instruction that maybe puts people to sleep a little bit 
right. or or is just not as exciting or enjoyable. And then and then the other side of the pendulum that's just let's make sure everybody has a good time and not worry so much about the technical side. That's probably an ongoing tug of war. Yeah, I think a lot of people see us out as babysitters for their kids or, oh, I got to take a lesson, but or my wife needs to take a lesson or something like that. And they don't see the level of knowledge that most instructors have. I mean, this, the courses of study that I've had to get a pretty good amount of knowledge in, some people are getting four-year degrees and PhDs in biomechanics, physiology, education. It, it, I created a list this year for new hires that I had it up to three PowerPoint slides at one point, and I needed to start to whittle it down a little bit. Do they have a marketing budget that is basically dedicated to just, hey, take a lesson? Or is that kind of left to the resorts? No, there is a there's a, a learn to ski and ride month that a lot of resorts participate in that provides discounts and PSA participates in that. There are there is a lot of outreach into the community to try to explain who we are as certified instructors and why you should be asking for a certified instructor when you're at a resort. But then they also leave a lot of marketing to the resorts to to talk about their ski and ride schools specifically. Yeah, beer break. <laughs> so pop culture, for one reason or another, tends to caricature ski instructors in a certain way, yeah. in a certain click, yeah. with a certain vibe. You know, Aspen Extreme or probably Out Cold or probably any ski movie, there's the ski instructors who are kind of prima donna-y or something. You know, I don't want to put a lot of words in the mouth, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Why? And and dispel it? Or maybe it's true? I don't know. Talk about it. It's funny. Like you say prima donna, that's the word that was sitting right there. I think it's, we are the most visible group on the resort. And, and whenever we talk to our customers, you think, you take a full day private, I'm going to spend six hours with that customer. How much time are they going to send with the parking attendant? How much time will they spend with the guy flipping burgers? How much time will they spend with the lift attendant, right? Those are those are minutes in a day, but I think ski school has always been that we're highly visible. We wear bright colored uniforms so people can see us. We're out there as one of the largest bodies at the resort and we spend the most time with our guests. So I think we get very focused on in that way. And then, so you have that, you know, there's, I think most resorts, have a little bit of a battle back and forth between uh, ski school and ski patrol because we kind of serve similar guest service functions, but in two very different ways. Yeah, I was throwing the parallel out there before we got started about how, you know, my impression was that it was similar to something that I did in my past, which was caddying, where you spend four, five, six hours with somebody really developing a relationship and developing trust. Yeah. And you also have to show up at work not knowing if you're going to work that day. Yeah. You're waiting for a loop. So, how much of your, your, whether it's instructors or just general business operations, is based on people knowing exactly what they're going to do that day versus people showing up and kind of waiting for the call of where where their lesson's going to be? Yeah, I think we do a very good job at Stowe of making sure that we have the right amount of staff for what we're expecting that day. So you don't have a lot of folks just showing up and hoping to get work that day. But yeah, there's a there's a significant part of our our group that's coming to group lessons that's not a specific client for a specific time frame that are just kind of waiting to hear the supervisor say, hey, take this group, take the rabbit group, take the, the snowflake group, take the level six group kind of stuff. But then you have a pretty good group of folks who have return clients and they know 
I've got this client from Monday through Friday over the holiday week, and that's who I'm skiing with that whole week. How often does an instructor show up and they just have to go home? Um, it's hard to put a number on that. You know, more we, than zero. More than zero for sure, but not so much that if you've been here for a couple of years that you couldn't make a living as a full-time ski instructor. It's not a own a Maserati, own a nice house living, but be able to pay your bills throughout the year for sure. Do they make anything that day? Uh, yeah, we have a, a little bit of pay uh, for getting to the resort kind of stuff. And then a lot of times we'll figure out, you know, on snow things. We're not asking them to go shovel snow or do jobs that are kind of outside their description, but uh, I can sometimes pay for training sessions and get that stuff out there. It's better than caddying. You have to show up and you make nothing if you don't (laughs) get a loop. Oh yeah. I did caddying for a while in high school. I remember that. Yeah. All right. So you're a better skier than I am, or at least you're way more technical (laughs) than I am. Tuning. Yeah. Tuning your equipment. Right. What do you recommend uh, based on kind of skier type? How often do you tune your equipment? Uh, So I'm on my skis every day, right? So I'm putting in 125, 150 days a year on skis. Um, I'm touching up the edges every two to three days, and I'm probably waxing the skis probably about that same, maybe a little bit less, depending upon what conditions have been like. So touching up is just something you're doing yourself. How often are you actually base grinding and taking away material? Probably once a season, I try to drop my stuff off to get reset because even with as detailed as I am on the edges, I won't get the exact same angle every single time. So uh, definitely when I get a new pair of skis, they go right to the shop for setup. And then maybe sometime during that season, I'll take them back for another uh, edge set and base grind. You've been expanding kind of beyond the instructing the instructors in recent years, right? With with some judging. Cert- there's certifications in that world as well. And where are you, where are you with that? So a couple of years ago, I joined up with IFSA, International Free Ski Association, um, that runs all those big mountain comp kind of things that you see. They're not the, it's not the park and pipe stuff. It's cliff drops, steep lines, that kind of stuff. Uh, and started working on their coaching credentialing. So they are in a similar uh, looking at a three to four level certification for their coaches. Right now they have just a level 100 and a level 200. Um, and I helped build out the level 200 credentials for that. Okay. So it's not just judging. It's folks who are coaching the up and comer competitors, things like that. Cause I know there's free ride coaches and things, um, at a lot of resorts now. So those coaches are getting certified and that's the, the role that you're talking about. Yeah, I got, I did the judging credentialing just so I could understand what the judges were looking at so that I could then focus the, the credentialing for the coaches so they could be coaching their students to be successful. Because in that, it's a competition format at that point. What are they looking at? Put me in the judge's booth. First thing they're going to look at is line choice. So whenever they get to a venue, the judges will have a meeting and they'll look up at the venue and say, okay, this is uh, an A line and a B line for different things. Um, cliff drops, depending on size, will have different value. So that's the first setup is is what's the line that you take and that's a part of the tactics of being a competitor uh, because then the skier is evaluated on what they call turn so how well they ski it they're they're evaluated on airtime or or pop that kind of stuff they're evaluated on um, just their technical ability to ski it so you have to decide as a competitor am i going to ski the gnarliest line 
and maybe take some risks that I don't get great scores in my skiing, or am I going to take something that's a little less gnarly, but be really clean and really technical, maybe throw a couple of big airs off of stuff. So the competitors are looking at a venue from that. The judges are looking at the lines and the line sets the base, sort of the base score that they could get from there. Right. It's kind of like park and pipe, like amplitude. Right. If amplitude's kind of first, if you're not going big, you're just not going to get there. You got to go big first and then your tricks kind of matter. But if you're not going big, it's kind of uh, a little bit different in the fact, like I did one a couple years ago and I skied a really clean line while a lot of younger kids were going big off of some stuff and not landing cleanly, not pulling off their, their maneuvers. And I could ski a lower end line, but really cleanly and ha- carry some more speed down the hill. And I ended up coming in top five against kids that were half my age. So, yeah. So one can override the other depending on the cleanliness and right. success rate. Exactly. Yeah. All right, beer break. All right, I got a little lightning round here for you. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Your uh, favorite local beer is? Uh, Heady Topper. Favorite mountain, not Stowe. Ooh, I get asked this one a lot. Uh, regionally or nationally? Both. Regionally, I will go to Sugarbush. Uh, nationally, Jackson Hole. The best supermarket chain in America? Uh, I'm a big fan of Hannaford's. Ooh, going local, staying local with that. Yeah, Hannaford, you live in Morrisville. It's your supermarket. <laughs> You're a happy guy. You're Buy content local. then. Buy local. All right, you got it. Uh, the strangest liquid you've ever drank? Baijiu, which is a rice uh, alcohol made in China. Your most likely pocket snack? Mm, my wife's homemade energy bars. How often do you change your oil? 5,000 miles. And what's the worst airline? Delta. Why? They lose my stuff. What's your Delta lost my baggage story? Uh, my skis went to the Bahamas. Where were you going? Denver. And your skis went to the Bahamas? They had a better vacation than I did. <laughs> Something tells me you know how to get your hands on a pair of skis in Colorado. Yeah, I was okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always take my boots with me on the plane. I'm that guy that walks around the airport with a pair of ski boots yeah me too you have to keep them with you right it's the most important part what didn't i ask you strangest food i've ever eaten you got a good one uh cow's stomach in a shared hot pot in china do you ski when you're in china when were you in china i was in china two seasons ago i went over there to do some instructor certification and coaching in china language barrier are you dealing with people who speak english or do you speak chinese or mandarin what's going on uh, i do not speak chinese we'll be very clear about that definite language barrier um but we had i had a great translator uh and then i had a couple of folks in my group who had learned english through school uh, my translator was far better and he'd learned it by watching big bang theory <laughs> so is everybody on your team ready up there what's the last thing that people need to kind of get good at to really be good for the season what are you what are you worried about between now and christmas to make sure your team's good to go uh right now i'm uh, i'm worried about making sure we can keep people working because this time of year tends to be a little bit slower until we get up to christmas so making sure that we we keep the stoke high we keep people around that they can feed themselves you know i'm not worried about revenue for the ski school i'm worried about them making a meal each day um but then yeah once we get to the christmas holiday it's going to be full on for a little bit and so then we're kind of looking for burnout and making sure everybody stays fresh and stays healthy all right 
best of luck up there. And I can't say I'm going to take a lesson because I've never taken one, but I probably will put my kids in your programs at some point here now that we are Epic Pass holders. Yeah, I I think anybody could, you know, benefit from it. You got to think that Michaela Schifrin has a coach, right? So any one of us can get something out of it. I have a coach. She's named Laura. She's downstairs. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Thanks, Nate. Yeah, thank you, Alex. And it's rant time. Let's rename Wheelerville Road. You know, the end location for the skiers that make bad decisions while enjoying the skiers left of the Northridge at Killington. The old, oops, dude, what did we just do? I don't know. Keep going, man. Maybe we'll hit Snowden trick. You won't. Instead, the sun will go down and your cell phone won't keep you warm. Thankfully, Most who head out this way do get rescued or slog their way out in the dark, but I think naming the road that ends up in every news story about these escapades could have a long-term impact on reducing them. How about Consequences Road, or Bad Decisions Alley, or Reimbursement for Rescue Drive? No? Oh well. At least they'll stop chasing those tracks again once it rains and freezes again. End of rant. I enjoyed that. I definitely know more about ski instruction than I did before that started. Speaking of more information, we are going to be partnering with Vermont Ski and Ride Magazine a bit going forward, and you can sign up for your free digital subscription to Vermont Ski and Ride Magazine at vtskiandride.com, and look for print copies at your local outdoor retailer, bars, coffee shops, and more, and you'll probably see some wintry mix type stuff on their website. Remember, you can call 802-560-5003 to leave a question or a rant or whatever. Or hit me up via email at alex at wintrymixcast.com. But the coolest thing to do right now is support the new podcast mission of pooling our spare change to donate to local causes. It's going to be rad when we cut our first check on behalf of the listeners of Wintry Mix Podcast. It might be soon. Patreon.com slash wintrymixcast. And you'll get a sticker. Follow on social at Wintry Mixcast, or better yet, share an episode and tell a pal about the pod if they've been missing out. Goodbye. But first, the voicemail. Hey there, Alex. This is Sandy Cool. Um, I eke out a living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but um, my husband and I have um, a second home in a low-rent district in Stowe, um, and that's our home mountain. Stumbled upon your podcast this week, and I am totally binging on my long slog back home to Philadelphia today on Sunday. And I love cars. I've always loved cars, but I'm too old for a second career to become a mechanic, but was fascinated with your car talk episode. And I just wanted to say that I'm all about my fog lights. Love, love, love my fog lights, have them on my Subaru, and wouldn't drive a car without fog lights. And the other thing, though, that I think is super important any time of year, especially in the winter, though, is good windshield wiper blades um, and maintaining them and taking care of them, making sure that they don't get encrusted with ice, 
um, I think that, um, you know, just really plays into safe driving, um, having good visibility. So that's what I want to say about that. And, yeah, keep up the great work. I'm so excited to churn through every blessed episode that you have in your archive and uh, to subscribe and hear more coming. And I'm going to try really hard to give you a five-star rating when I get back home, but I'm not going to do that while I'm driving. All right. Beyond. Bye-bye. Bring your level down a touch because usually what happens is people testing they test really low and then when they start talking about stuff they're interested in they talk yeah, they louder. A little higher. Uh, but yeah we're good